I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. La Liga is back. The 28th match day of the 2019-20 season was supposed to be played in mid-March. But then the world changed and the coronavirus forced football's halt. Now in the second week of June, football has been able to return in Spain, albeit behind closed doors. And we're going to discuss everything that went on during this episode. I'm your host, Jim McTeer. And I'll be joined by various contributors from across Spain as they provide the lowdown on their local clubs and on how exactly the return to action went. We haven't gone anywhere during this time of coronavirus as we've been producing several podcasts about more historical stories. But I know this might be the first time some of you are tuning in in a while. So I just want to start by saying thank you for being with us and that our thoughts are with everyone who's lost a loved one during this horrible pandemic. There were several touching tributes as La Liga returned. And we also have the Infinite Applause Initiative in the 20th minute of each match to thank the healthcare professionals and other key workers for the comeback efforts. It sounded something like this. What you hear now in the 20th minute uh, is the Applause to Infinity initiative from La Liga to bring the support and spirit of the fans back into the stadiums, paying tribute to the comeback efforts made by everybody during these last few months. That was the sound from La Liga TV in the 20th minute of the Sevilla versus Betis derby, which was our first match back. It was a great match to return with, so great in fact, that we had a live La Liga Lowdown show on Twitter via Periscope. If you missed that, then make sure you're following La Liga Lowdown on Twitter to see content like that pop up. One of the guests we had on was our Sevilla correspondent, Gregor Chappelle, and he was optimistic about Sevilla's chances of victory, and rightly so in the end, since they duly won the derby 2-0. So let's speak to Gregor now. And Gregor, Sevilla versus Betis was the first match back. What were your initial impressions just from the viewing experience of it all? Did you watch it with the pixel crowds and the the canned crowd noise or did you watch the natural version? Well, yeah, actually, um, I had it on with the the pixelated crowds. I was just on the bottom tier and the crowd noise. And like, yeah, it was a bit bit strange. Um, Occasionally when the camera changed to maybe a lower camera or a side camera, the fans in the bottom of the stand would disappear and you'd just see the empty seats which was a bit odd but um, no I I think it helped a lot like it just gave it that little bit of atmosphere that 
would be lacking you know it made it feel like what it was like three months ago a little bit more I think it enhanced it I mean just to have a celebration when a goal goes in for me I think it would just be strange to just hear the players shouting at each other for 90 minutes it just made it seem a little bit more like normal football and I quite liked that Sevilla completely dominated Betis and they could have won by more how do you explain the difference in the two teams performances I mean, Sevilla hit the ground running and looked like the kind of <clears throat> well-oiled machine that you're used to seeing from them. And they'd obviously been working hard uh, in training over the break. Uh, defensively, they were very well organised as usual. Fernando put in a great performance in that holding role, even grabbed a goal. I mean, the tempo obviously dropped as the game went on, uh, which is expected after such a long break. But I thought the fitness levels were as good as you could expect them to be. And Betis just almost looked a little bit hungover after that three-month break. I mean, they kind of they just lacked urgency going forward. Guys that you'd normally rely on in that team, like Fakir and Canales, just didn't really turn up on the night. So I'd say it's as good as Sevilla could have really hoped for, um, given the circumstances, especially not having that home advantage either. Lucas Ocampos really came back flying, didn't he? Oh, he certainly did. Um, I mean, I tipped him before the game to be really important, and I felt that if he missed out because of the doubts around his fitness that he'd be a huge miss for Sevilla and we could see exactly why he would have been a huge miss I mean hitting the bar in the first in the 10th minute gave us an early insight into like how direct he would his play would be for the rest of the game and how influential he would eventually turn out to be he also had that shot saved by Robles uh, just before half time and then obviously got his goal from the penalty spot even though I'm not quite sure it should have been a penalty <laughs> and then also grabbed that assist flicking the ball into Fernando from the co- from the corner for the second goal. So, you know, he's driving runs down that right flank, caused Betis problems all night long. And that's him now scored five in five consecutive La Liga games and he's got 11 for the season. I mean, what a season he's having. He's so important for that team going forward and he can really make the difference with his, that direct driving play that he has every week. Yeah, the assist might even have been more impressive than the penalty. You're right that he was driving and direct, which was the opposite of what Betis were. What did they need to do to get back into the swing of things? For me, I think Betis just looked, they looked a bit lacklustre, they looked a bit tired. It was strange. I mean, it's like I said before, it seemed like a hangover from the three-month break and maybe they just need a couple of weeks of playing um proper matches again to get that match fitness back to get that sharpness back thanks Gregor we'll see how both the Seville teams get on in match day 29 now we're going to discuss matters at the top of the table in just a little bit but first let's talk about the other derby we had this weekend that was on Friday night so the second game back saw Granada complete a come from behind victory over Hitafe to keep their European hopes very much alive then our second Friday night game was played out at Mestalla between Valencia and local rivals Levante. There was very late drama in this one as an 89th minute Rodrigo Moreno goal for Valencia looked like it was going to be the winner but it was cancelled out by a 97th minute Levante penalty scored by Gonzalo Melero. Let's bring in our resident Valencia fan Paco Pollitt and Paco I'm going to start by saying just two words the name of the player who gave away that penalty. Give me your response to the words Mukhtar and Diacabi. 
Well, I think it's quite self-explanatory at this point. After being the star of the show in the third penalty in the last two games played in Mestalla, both fans and Celades in his post-game conference spoke their mind and it seems they have had it with Diacabi. Celades, by the way, was very harsh. He's made too many mistakes already and they have cost us many points, he said. Valencia had managed to back the three points in an agonizing 90th minute Rodrigo Tapin, but the way Diacabi hugged and brought down Beto inside the box five minutes later was too much for the referee to look away from. VAR did its thing and Jorge Miramon coolly slotted the penalty in. So yeah, not only me, absolutely everyone amongst the Valencia fanbase was thinking about Mokhtar Diacabi on Friday's midnight and not in a good way. What about Diacabi's partner Hugo Guillamon? He was really impressive, right? Possibly many people hadn't had the chance to watch the kid play, but again, I'm lucky enough to work with youth football in Valencia and I've seen him moving up the ranks in the last five or six years from a promising under-15 to becoming a Spanish national team regular face with the under-17 and the under-19 squads, and he actually conquered the under-19 European Championship alongside Ferran Torres one year ago. Biggest criticism he's had his whole career is related to his height, because Hugo Guillamón isn't a huge centre-back in size, but in my view he far from compensates it with his positioning, marking and passing skills. So yeah, it was his first big official game for Valencia, and he did very well, even forcing Roger Martí to desperation and ultimately being sent off for two yellows. A very, very good debut. So then why doesn't Guillamón have a new contract yet? Because Valencia's people in charge have had a very tough season playing catch-up with absolutely every single sports issue after they sacked Marcelino and Mateo Alemán followed suit. They haven't been able to extend Ferran Torres' contract, also Garay seemed an easy negotiation towards remaining in the squad and now it seems his time there is over. They didn't bring in a replacement centre-back in February after the Argentinian got injured and finally Guillamón was ignored within the club right until the first months of 2020. 2020. And that's why right now he's a free agent and will finish his contract on July 30th. Valencia might get lucky there because the player has very strong feelings for the club, he's been in the academy since he was five, so there's still a chance he will continue in the club after this summer, but again, Valencia's people in charge haven't done their homework properly this season. In general, how much fun was this derby with all the drama of the final few minutes? It wasn't the most entertaining game ever, but it had its fair share of chances. Valencia sent two finishes straight into the woodwork, one in each half, but overall the real big chances were very scarce. I do think Paco Lopez played his cards a little bit better with the five subs, Celades didn't really change anything with the players he got onto the pitch, and actually helped Levante by removing Maxi Gomez off the pitch, as he was winning every ball on the opposite defenders. But yeah, most of the fun happened in that last eight minutes, and before that we saw two teams slowly waking up from a three-month hiatus and plenty of mistakes and easy balls being lost in both ends of the pitch. Okay, let's now turn our attention to the La Liga leaders Barcelona who returned with purpose. It took just 65 seconds for them to score again with Arturo Vidal kicking off a 4-0 route of Real Mallorca. Martin Brathwaite, Jordi Alba and, of course, Lionel Messi scored the others. That was Messi's 20th goal of the season and makes him the only ever player to score 20 or more in 12 La Liga seasons straight. Let's bring in our man in Mallorca now, Alex Fitzpatrick. Alex, fans couldn't attend this game. Well, one of them did sadly by invading the pitch, but most could not. So how disappointing was it for you and 
other Mallorca fans to not be able to attend this game. I mean, obviously, this is one of the two biggest games of the season and one of the reasons teams want to be promoted into Spain's top division in the first place. Yeah, it will have been a huge disappointment, not just to myself, but obviously the, the over 20,000 Real Mallorca fans who would have been in the Visit Mallorca Estadio, as it's now called. I think the game against Barcelona, for, for any club that's promoted, that's kind of one of the ones that you look forward to more than ever as a reward for the promotion, really. And um, I think fans of, of clubs that haven't been promoted would, would look forward to, to that fixture as well. So, yeah, hugely disappointing not to be able to attend. A huge hit for the club in terms of revenue as well. Uh, it would have been between half a million and a million euros in revenue for that game alone in terms of sponsorship and ticket sales and corporate things that they would have done. So... A blow for the fans, a blow for the club, but um, we are where we are and at least football is back. The start couldn't have gone any worse for Mallorca, could it? They did make it difficult for themselves, yeah. I think giving um, Barcelona a goal start was particularly generous and no, you can't concede so early, nor in that manner against any team but particularly against Barcelona. You don't expect really Barcelona to, to play across an aerial ball into the box, particularly so early in the game and and for there to be a header. It's not normally their normal style of attack and it was poorly defended. Uh, that type of cross to the back post uh, with a towering header over the top of a left back, whichever of the many left backs we've had playing in that position this season has been a, a regular method of conceding. So yeah, that's particularly concerning, but also goals after restarts. Mallorca haven't conceded too many early, early goals in the first half of games, but they have conceded a number of goals in the first five to ten minutes after half time. And the concentration levels after restarts is uh, particularly poor, and, and that has been the case uh, last season as well away from home. It actually took 30 minutes for there to be a foul in this game, Alex. You don't expect Barcelona, the team with possession, to commit too many fouls, but maybe there was a lack of intensity on Mallorca's part. I think the the stat of no foul for the first 30 minutes and that foul, in fact, I think the first two actually coming from Barcelona is a little bit illustrative of not necessarily a lack of intensity, although I think you could definitely argue that look, these guys are not quite up to full match sharpness and uh, maybe they were a couple of yards off. But you also have to appreciate the fact that Mallorca aren't playing uh, a high press. They're not Osasuna, they're not Hetafe, they're not in the faces of teams, uh, particularly if they're playing a team such as Barcelona. They, uh, in the first half at least, they, they went for the, as they do in many other games, they went for the sitting approach. So they were getting nine or ten, uh, men behind the ball, maybe Ante Budimir, Cucho Hernandez or Danny Rodriguez when he switched and went central, maybe would do a little bit of a press. But generally, Moreno's sides are not pressing sides. But yeah, I think they were they were definitely a few yards off the pace. And I think what we can say is it's a little bit, for Mallorca in hindsight, it's a little bit of a pre-season friendly for them. You don't expect them to get anything out of this game against Barcelona. So... In effect, it's good that it came up first because it allows them to get up to speed, ready for the final 10 games of the season to come, which are going to be critical for their survival. Overall, 4-0 was quite harsh, wasn't it? Can Mallorca take some positives from this first game back? 
4-0 was absolutely a harsh scoreline. I think it would be fair to say it was the right result, but the wrong scoreline. There's no doubting that Barcelona were the superior side, that they deserve to win. There's there's no debate there. But I think uh, the right result, but the wrong scoreline in that Mallorca were unfortunate not to score. Not as sharp, perhaps, as they could have been in the final third. Um, one good save from Take Kubo, um, a Take Kubo shot, which uh, Ter Stegen um, stopped, which was goal bound in towards the top corner. Um, so I think they, they can probably count themselves as a little bit unlucky not to have, have got a goal. They matched Barca in shots and, and there were lots of bright spots, as I said a moment ago, particularly from Take Kubo, who looks as if he could be the man who is going to spearhead this Mallorca survival charge. Thanks, Alex. So Barcelona moved on to 61 points and they remain just two ahead of Real Madrid because they won as well. We'll discuss Real Madrid and so much more in part two coming up after this short break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're recapping the first matchday back since the coronavirus outbreak and we've already discussed leaders Barcelona. We'll get on to Real Madrid at the end of the show with Sofia Villegas, aka Global Madridista. But first, let's reflect on the relegation battle. We've already heard how Real Mallorca lost, so they remain in the bottom three. So too do Leganes as they lost 2-1 at home to Real Valladolid. A really disappointing result for them from a match that started so badly as there was a mix-up between goalkeeper Pichu Keir and defender Chidozi Awazim. 
to concede an early goal. Espanyol, meanwhile, remained bottom, but they got a win at the weekend to pull them a little closer to safety as they beat Alaves 2-0, helped by the fact that Alaves goalkeeper Fernando Pacheco was sent off just 20 minutes in. Let's bring in Roman de Arcaire now to discuss the Catalan club further. Roman, how much was this Espanyol win to do with Pacheco's red card? And how much was it to do with Espanyol being good? There's no doubt whatsoever that Pacheco sending off was crucial in this game. I mean, it has to be said. Until the 20th minute, which is when that sending off took place, it was a very hard-fought game, very physical game. None of the two teams had found their groove at that point. And you couldn't really know who was going to pull out of this game, who was the favorite team at that stage. But as soon as the sending off took place, it was Espanyol all over. And I mean, it's, it's the normal thing because... First, we know that Espanyol is desperate to get away from that bottom position. And second of all, when you're playing with one more man, um, you're going to dominate. And that's what happened. Espanyol were capable of generating chances, so credit in that sense, because we've seen Espanyol's uh, versions of Espanyol this season which weren't capable of generating uh, barely any chances. But in this game, they kept going on, they kept going forward, they kept pushing until they found that goal right before halftime. And then as soon as the second half started, they found that second goal. And they still had possession after that. They still had control because, of course, uh, that one-man advantage was very important for Espanyol to get those three points. Espanyol's home form all season has been poor. They actually had more away points and home points before this one, but now they've returned with a win behind closed doors. Well, will they perhaps strangely do better without the fans? It's certainly a possibility because Espanyol have been going through a really complicated spiral of, of not getting any good results and staying there right at the bottom where it, psychologically it has a negative impact on you. And at the same time, the fans, you know, they expected so much more at the beginning of the season with uh, Europa League positions uh, they managed last season. But now, you know, suddenly seeing that your team is, is losing, is, is not playing well, that doesn't make the fans happy at all. And at the Eretia Stadium, the fans don't hesitate to let uh, their opinion be known. So if they don't like what they're seeing, they're going to boo. They're going to whistle the players. And that's an added pressure the squad actually has when they're playing the game. So maybe without the fans, that extra layer of pressure might not be there and they can completely focus on the football and completely focus on the game to get the results they need uh, to get away from that relegation zone. So it might just be helpful for Espanyol. Are Espanyol in a good position to compete every three or four days? I think they might be because they built a squad with Europa League and Thursday night football in mind. Supposedly they were um, making a squad taking into account all these competitions. But to be honest, we talked about this at the beginning of the season that their squad isn't as deep or wasn't as deep at that point to face uh, Europa League, to play Copa del Rey, to play La Liga and that they would possibly struggle in their domestic competition. And that's what's actually happened. But since the reinforcements uh, that came in in the winter transfer market, I think there's been a big change. They signed in really good players such as Raul de Tomas, Embarba and Cabrera, and they certainly helped make a difference. Embarba, as a matter of fact, gave the two assists in this game against Alaves, so he's been crucial. Raul de Tomas, we all know what he's capable of and what he's done so far for Espanyol. So, I mean, now they do have a deeper squad, now they do have a chance, and now I think they do have the team to play this uh, constant situation of game after game after game. So it's going to be now or never for them, and of course they're going to struggle physically because you know, they come from resting for for a long time, such as many other teams. But I think they're more prepared than other squads in La Liga for this situation. It's going to be interesting, but they have a good team and they need to make the most out of it. OK, thanks, Roman. Further up the table, Celta Vigo remain the team just outside the relegation zone, just one point outside, as they lost 1-0 to Villarreal on Saturday 
in the final moments. It was a tough blow for them, but they did deserve to lose that game, I thought. They were never in it. Osasuna, meanwhile, they're a team that some have been wondering if they could slip down the table and get stuck in some relegation battle quicksand too, but they returned with a very commendable point away at Real Sofidad. It was a 1-1 draw for them against the Champions League chasers, who do remain in the top four for now, but of course Real Sofidad would have liked a three-point haul from that one, that's for sure. La cruza Williams al otro lado, a la izquierda para Yuri, Yuri Muniain, gol, 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 gol. robar el Atlético de Madrid, el Atlético de Bilbao en salida de balón, Costa solo, Costa solo, Costa, gol, 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 gol. That there was the sound of Atlético Club versus Atlético Madrid, a truly classic fixture in La Liga between two clubs that are basically siblings. It was a hard-fought match, perhaps the most physical we've seen in this restart, and it finished all square at 1-1, which was probably a fair result. As we heard, it was Iker Munyain who put Atlético Club ahead before Diego Costa quickly restored parity and he had a touching gesture as he did so raising an Atleti shirt with the name of Atletico Madrid women's team player Virginia Torresilla on it, a message of solidarity after she recently had to have an operation on a brain tumour. Nice touch Diego. So it finished 1-1 in Bilbao and considering that goalkeepers Unai Simon and Jan Oblak had to make one world class save each, I think that was a fair final scoreline. There's just one game left now for us to reflect on from the weekend's action and it's Real Madrid 3, Ibar 1. Real Madrid were dazzling in the first half, with goals from Toni Kroos, Sergio Ramos and Marcelo. And they were less impressive in the second half as Ibar almost got back into it. Let's discuss this match now with Sofia Villegas, who Real Madrid fans will know as Global Madridista. Sofia, how impressive was the first half performance from Real Madrid? It was an impressive first half considering the three-month hiatus from football. Real Madrid looked like they were in great form and it didn't seem to bother them that they were off for a couple of months. That's where football can take an unfair advantage. Some players were able to train more considering the resources that each team had. Despite that, Real Madrid's passing was impressive. I saw a confident start for Los Blancos and what a way for them to open it up with just four minutes into the game by having Tony Kroos scoring a stunner from the edge of the box. It looks like Kareem was slightly offside, but VAR ruled it as a goal. Benzema was fantastic on the ball and created lots of chances. Benzema was great and Hazard too, even if neither of them scored. How was it to see Hazard back? I was happy to see Hazard making his return after being out for most of the season. Football stopping for a couple of months allowed him to recover and Zidane putting him in the starting lineup. He was brilliant working with Benzema. I saw him floating from left to right. Looks like Zidane is giving him some freedom to see where he fits best. He was great in the first half and he was involved in all three goals, drawing in defenders to leave Kroos and Marcelo open as well as Ramos. So yeah, Hazard set up Ramos' goal very unselfishly, something that Zidane later described in his press conference as being class. Can you talk us through what happened there? Ramos initiated the goal and Hazard rewarded him by unselfishly passing it to him. Hazard could have easily finished it off. I thought it was a grand gesture by him and it showed that he's willing to do what it takes to see the team succeed. That's an A-plus for me and something that I like to see on the team that builds trust and respect. What else stood out to you from this match? What other highlights were there for you? 
I was also happy to see Marcelo score after almost two years of a dry spell in La Liga. And it was even better to see him kneel down and honor George Floyd. I'd love to see more representation from the players in La Liga and also La Liga to support the Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen the Bundesliga teams like Bayern Munich, both men and women, wearing shirts to honor Black Lives Matter. The Premier League will also return by having players replacing their names with Black Lives Matter on the back. I think that's an incredible gesture to see from the Premier League. Absolutely. A great gesture from Marcelo, one that's been seen around the world. Let's talk about that second half now. It wasn't so good. The second half was disappointing. You would think that being up 3-0 at home, Real Madrid would maintain the lead, but they were sluggish and hardly had any chances in the second half. Earlier this season, Los Blancos had a couple of games where they started strong, but couldn't keep that momentum going. The game versus Levante at El Bernabeu. We saw Levante score two late goals. We also had a scare at home versus Granada. To win La Liga, Real Madrid have to maintain focus throughout the entire game or else they can lose points where they can easily win. Thanks, Sofia. Looking forward is Real Madrid versus Valencia on Thursday night at 10pm Spanish time. That's surely the biggest game of Match Day 29. For now, we'll leave you with these thoughts from Match Day 28. Thanks to all the contributors, to Gregor Chappelle, to Paco Pollitt, to Alex Fitzpatrick, to Roman de Arquer, and to Sofia Villegas. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and I hope you'll tune in again later in the week when we will recap the next match day. Lots of podcasts are coming your way these next few weeks from La Liga Lowdown as we have game after game after game. So to stay on top of all our content, be sure to follow La Liga Lowdown on Twitter and to check out laligalowdown.com. For now, thank you very much for listening in to this episode.